Hello, sisters and brothers, and welcome to the Solidarity Center podcast, an interview show that highlights and celebrates the individuals working for labor rights, the freedom to form unions, and democracy across the globe. I'm your host, Shauna Bader-Blau. I'm also the executive director of the Solidarity Center in Washington, D.C. We're the largest U.S.-based international worker rights organization. We empower workers to raise their voice for dignity on the job, for justice in their communities, and for greater equality in the global economy, and for one just future. Imagine working and not getting paid. I mean, Many of us do have fun sometimes we're at work, but we don't work for fun. We work to support ourselves and our families. But unbelievably in the 21st century, for millions of people worldwide, especially those in low-wage work, and especially for people who migrate from their homes for jobs, it's shocking how often they work and don't get paid. Paid on time or even at all. Our guest today will describe a campaign across Asia that is raising awareness about the untold numbers of people who migrate for work, but who are not paid and are forced to work long hours with no days off, all forms of wage theft. Michael Joy Kim speaks to us from Sri Lanka, where he is co-founder and director of the Plantation Rural Education and Development Organization, PREDO. Credo is part of the Justice for Wage Theft campaign formed by migrant rights organizations during the COVID crisis. Michael, in your experience working um, in Sri Lanka and across the region on the issue of migrant workers, I wonder if you could just share a little bit, like, what are some of the reasons people migrate? All the others go because there is less income for them. Many other migrant workers are either semi-skilled or unskilled workers. So they can't earn very much to build a house, to educate their children. And many of them also go to repay their loans locally so that they come out of that bondage of getting indebted. So people are leaving their home countries with a a vision of improving their lives, improving their livelihoods, and also getting out of extreme debt. When when I'm a migrant worker leaving (coughs) Sri Lanka for Kuwait, for example, what constitutes wage theft? Wage theft is basically when the employer does not pay the wages agreed. Normally, a contract would include that amount and otherwise there would, would not be an official agreement. But what happens is when you go to a, the country, if the labor laws are not implemented properly, one is not paying the minimum wages, then when you don't pay the worker for the extra hours he or she works, then if she's entitled to something like a gratuity, a bonus at the end of the year, and when you leave the employment, there is a prescribed amount which has to be paid as gratuity. So someone is leaving a country either because they need to pay off debt and they can't make enough locally, or they're trying to improve their lives and livelihoods. They land in a country and work 
and either don't get paid the wages they're promised or owed, or in some cases don't get paid at all. I know that your organization, Predo, is working with the Justice for Wage Theft campaign, and that campaign began during the early months of the COVID pandemic. Wage theft became a sort of a common phenomenon where they complained of various grievances before COVID-19. And out of the 1,700 cases, about 60 to 75% of them actually were wage theft. They were wow. complaining that they were not paid, they were uh, cheated, they were promised they were paid later, they were not paid overtime. But then suddenly, after COVID-19, large number of people started complaining that they were not paid, they lost the employment, and it became a huge problem. So if, if almost half of all migrant workers prior to the COVID pandemic were already experiencing non-payment of wages, what were some of the dynamics in the pandemic that made migrant workers even more vulnerable to having their wages stolen? They found that it was a very good opportunity sort of asking them to work without pay because they knew the migrant worker ca cannot go back to his home. So they made the opportunity. So that is how it became a sort of a, a problem of such a big magnitude. People risk so much to, to go to a new country to try to make a better life. And then they're faced with not only, you know, a lack of enforcement of local laws about them getting paid, and so they're facing wage theft, but also it's getting worse in the pandemic. You mentioned the countries that people have traveled to include many countries in um, the Gulf states and the Middle East. What, what makes it easy for employers to get away with not paying migrant workers? Actually, in Bahrain, Kuwait, Jordan, uh, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, there are labor laws. And even the contracts include what are the remedies available for them. But then, unfortunately, the... <clears throat> The unskilled workers, most of them are unaware that the ways that they can prevent the employer exploiting them. And also, unfortunately, it also happens that embassy workers in the destination countries who are supposed to help the migrant worker collide with the employer. And then the migrant worker, they said about 65% of the labor theft were committed by the employer. They said about 13% of the labor, the wage theft were committed by the by the, the, the embassy officers who were supposed to help them. Wow. Okay. So that's a that's a that's a that's a very, very pathetic and very serious situation. So how can uh, one when an embassy employee who's bound to help his own country worker does not help? How do you normally expect those labor officers there to help the migrant worker? So that's that's a situation. And then unfortunately, the bilateral agreements are not strong enough to deal with this matter 
take up forcing those countries of destination. You're, you're really painting a picture of a failure of a system. I mean, if people are bravely leaving a country to go to another country to try to make a better life, to find higher wages somewhere, and they travel, and in addition to the local government not providing remedy or support for something like wage theft, their home country is not always able to support or protect them either. I know that you are part of this justice for wage theft campaign that formed during the COVID pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about what the campaign is doing to help end wage theft and what are its goals? Surveys were done to actually find out how it has affected the migrant worker. So locally, we were doing surveys and also coordinating with other countries where we were trying to find out whether the situation is same. So whether it's in Bangladesh, India, or the other sending countries, the situation is almost the same. So it was uh, important for us to coordinate with the organization working for migrant workers and then make this as a sort of an issue which need to be taken up at the regional level. Uh, but it was important for us to get local governments. You see in Sri Lanka, migrant workers bring the, the most, the, in, I think in most of the countries is the, the, the exchange the highest. So the government need to sort of look into their issues. And they suddenly became a problem during COVID-19 because the, their own countries were not willing to take them in. They, they, they simply forgot what the contribution that they were, were making all this time, completely forgot what they were doing, what the contribution they made. Bringing them back became a very big problem in the sense now in Sri Lanka and also in other countries where the migrant worker had to normally a migrant worker would be paid a return ticket by the employer. So nothing of that happened. The migrant worker had to pay his own money for return ticket, pay his own money for quarantine, pay his own money to get back home. So he completely lost everything. Now, mm. if, you, if you just imagine a person who had borrowed money to go abroad, and then he, he also borrows money to come back. Because to come back also for the return ticket for quarantine, he had to still borrow money. So we were trying to take this up as an issue and then telling the government, now, if you if you want people to migrate and then contribute to the economy of the country, then the government needs to negotiate with the, the foreign employment ministry. For example, we were uh, in the campaign telling that they should appoint a special commission to look into the wage theft of migrant workers. So this may be uh, something that we do in Sri Lanka, but we also share this with other countries so that the other countries also take this up as a matter where the authority that is uh, responsible for migrant worker appoints a commission to see as to how wage theft had uh, occurred. And then what is the steps that the government can take through a bilateral agreement and then ensure that waste theft does not take, take in the future and also set up an emergency fund because the 
as I said, if the migrant worker is subjected to wage theft, that means that is doubly burdened with paying maybe two amounts of debt and is, is so pressed. So there must be some emergency fund to support uh, such people so that uh, they are in one some way. When you're talking, Michael, like low-wage workers is who we're mostly talking about and in, in countries that you've described in the Gulf and the Middle East. And I understand these wages, when people are paid properly, still only amount to three, four, five hundred $500 a month. And yet people are, are supposed to figure out how to pay back their debt and perhaps even repatriate themselves by their own plane ticket home during the COVID campaign. You're talking about a lot of great advocacy that the Justice for Wage Theft campaign is doing at the national level in the home countries. Is there similar kind of campaigning happening in the host countries where people migrate to and where people are experiencing the wage theft? Actually, with uh, labor solidarity, trying to set up set up a complaint mechanism for the for 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 initial step with the International Lawyers Association Workers Network in Bangladesh, so that the complaints could be made to the host countries as to what they need to do with regard to the wage theft that had already happened, so that uh, there'll be some some international law mechanism works out so that the host countries know that they have a commitment to attend to this and also try to see how they can sort of compensate. Because on, on one side, it's not only an issue of the issue of the sending countries, but also it, it also an issue of the host countries because if the migrant worker is not assured safeguards, then the migrants might be reluctant to take up jobs so that directly and indirectly can affect the development of the of the host countries. So in that way, I think making complaints and then uh, making an impact on the host countries to come to some agreement that wage theft is minimized or, or even better policies are being created. And when you're talking about low-wage workers, I'm trying to think about the sectors where people work. We're talking about domestic workers, workers in agriculture, the service industry, uh, perhaps security, education. Can you tell me a little bit about the gender breakup of the migrants in your survey? Just to point out one, we surveyed some 303 persons, out of which 53 persons were males and the balance 47 percent were females and then out of the 303 141 were domestic workers that that means almost 50 percent of that and then hospital workers it's about 27 so you would see now the sample survey shows majority of the workers who are really affected by Waste theft are unskilled workers and majority of them either were domestic workers or mine employees or unskilled workers or semi-skilled workers. And we find in, in our work around the world and also through these podcasts that workers in uh, domestic work are particularly uh, vulnerable to issues like wage theft, but also lack of access to justice. When I think about the Justice for Wage Theft campaign, 
When you look into the future, what are your main targets in the next couple of months and the next year as you work on this campaign? The most important steps that, that governments can take is to get into a bilateral agreement with the host countries. First, because some of the countries appear to be having good labor laws. There must be some certification, immediate certification every month. Uh, you are supposed to pay within the first five days or the 10 days or the next month. And then assured that the payment is really made. Then the, the possibility of wage theft is very much reduced. Does not appear, uh, appeal or apply in the same way to their locals. But then still, even if the present mechanism is made to work and then monitored for that, the, the sending country had to sort of uh, come into a stronger bilateral agreement with the host countries to enforce. And then when the wages are paid, for example, now the employer is required to open a bank account and then deposit the money to the bank account and then produce the receipt from this discussion to me that there's such a, a breakdown in the global governance of people's fundamental rights to get to be able to travel across borders for work legally and get paid what they're owed. We're talking about uh, a system here I'm hearing you describe in which probably millions and millions of dollars every single month are not going into the hands of workers who worked hours and deserve those wages to improve their lives this global governance weakness that you're describing. I'm so uh, angered by that and yet totally inspired by your organization and the Justice for Wage Theft campaign with organizations like yours doing the advocacy and the organizing with migrants, led by migrants. I hope we can make a difference um, in these fundamental rights of migrant workers. Michael Joaquin, co-founder and director of the Plantation Rural Education and Development Organization in Sri Lanka. Thank you so much for telling us about this important story today. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know? Thank you very much. I think we, it also gave me kind of an opportunity to tell this uh, so that so that it sort of impresses people who are really interested. And then the efforts are sort of taken up by at different levels by people who are really interested so that it's uh, justice is done to the migrant worker. I think it's as an organization, locally we were saying the migrant worker need to be called as uh, development partners in migration. That's how we're saying the migrant worker uh, not only brings money, the contributions he makes, but the sacrifices that he makes to bring that contribution is such a huge one. And it's inhuman to not give them that respect, recognition, safeguard that they really deserve. But the truth is that they contribute the whole country, the whole development, maybe uh, whether it's host country or the sending country, the contribution they make is so huge. So they deserve justice. They deserve to feel that they are being looked after, their interest is being looked after, they are respected, they are recognized.
Paying workers their full wages on time is the basic bargain in employment relationships. When someone works, they do so in exchange for payment from an employer. Yet as Michael shared with us, this is not the case for many people around the world who migrate for jobs. Millions of dollars are being taken from them. And let's be clear, this is theft. And it's outrageously common and has gotten worse in the pandemic. This is a breakdown in the global governance of people's fundamental rights to travel across borders to work and to get paid what they're owed. Most migrant workers are prevented from forming unions and collective bargaining. And these rights, guaranteed by international law, are also essential to preventing and addressing rampant wage theft. All workers, regardless of their nationality, gender, or immigration status, must have the freedom to join together to improve their working conditions. In Asia and across the Middle East and the Gulf, the Justice for Wage Theft campaign is stepping in to seek remedies for workers who have lost wages and to push for enforcement of laws already on the books to protect workers from this abuse. It's a legal and moral imperative that nations enforce their laws and fast-track justice in cases of wage theft so that people don't fall into a vicious cycle of debt and poverty. Punishing companies that exploit workers is the first real step toward real solutions. Michael Joy Kim, co-founder and director of Prito, thank you for telling us about the Justice for Wage Theft campaign. And thank you for all your efforts on behalf of those who migrate to improve their lives. Prito's work finding solutions to end wage theft is so essential. The Solidarity Center is proud to work with Prito and all our partners in the Justice for Wage Theft campaign. Those partners include the Building and Woodworkers International, Migrant Forum in Asia, Lawyers Beyond Borders Network, Cross Regional Center for Migrants and Refugees, South Asia Trade Union Council, and ASEAN Services Employees Trade Union Council. Thanks to all of them. You can follow and subscribe to the Solidarity Center podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. Learn more about the Solidarity Center at SolidarityCenter.org and follow our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Solidarity Center podcast is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and our show is produced and engineered by Adam Yaffe. A special thanks to the staff of the Solidarity Center who assisted with this podcast. In more than 60 countries around the world, we work to ensure a righteous future for workers, dignity, freedom, equality, and justice. For the Solidarity Center podcast, I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. Thanks for listening.